Well, welcome back to our study through the book of Philippians. If you've been joining us, we've been studying through this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing. He's in prison in the city of Rome, and he's writing to Christians in this city, and he's trying to tell them how they can rejoice together and how they can grow together. Even though they're separated by many miles and Paul's unable to join them, they're still able to praise the Lord together and to grow in their spiritual lives and in their relationship with God. As we've been going through the book, two weeks ago, we began in chapter two of the book, and we talked about how the, Paul answers the question, what is love? What is love? And we saw that love is the mind of Christ, the attitude of Jesus Christ. And this mind of Christ called for unity, humility, and selflessness. We looked at verses like 6 and 11, which are an illustration of those character traits in the life of Jesus Christ, through the example of Jesus. Last Sunday, then, we talked about how we're to work out our salvation. We're to shine like lights as God is the one who works through us. So we've talked about attitudes we're supposed to have. We've talked about how we're supposed to live. And then in the midst of all this excitement, all this telling us what we're going to do, Paul spends a whole passage talking about two guys who died a long time ago. Why would he do that? What's going on? If you know the Bible, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Paul's supposed to put all this boring travel stuff at the beginning or at the end of his letters. Why is this smack dab here in the middle? He was on a roll. Why would he break this really great discussion to talk about what his first century friends are doing? But you see, Paul's not actually taking a break here. Instead, what he's doing is applying the very things he just talked about in the previous verses. This is probably one of the best examples I've ever seen of, as they say, killing two birds with one stone. Because Paul is not only telling the Philippians things they need to know, about his travel plans and the travel plans of others, but he's also illustrating that mind of Christ, that working out your salvation, that shining. He's illustrating that in the lives of two people that the Philippians know very well. The things that we have been talking about the past two weeks, those kind of application points we arrived at, that we're supposed to have unity, humility, selflessness, that we're supposed to work, that we're supposed to shine. Well, this is how we do them. This is an illustration, a picture of what that looked like in the lives of two real people. And we can see how Paul got here as he's thinking about the mind of Christ. He's thinking about how believers should have unity, humility, selflessness, He's concerned about the Philippians. He wants them to work out their salvation. He wants them to shine as lights in the world. As he thinks about that, he remembers something. He remembers two brothers in the faith whose lives reflect that attitude of Christ. Two men who care for the Philippian church and two men who are committed in their service for the Lord. Really, only the Holy Spirit could inspire something like these travel plans, this travel itinerary, and fill it with meaning that we can apply to our lives today. So in our passage today, it's going to show us two brothers in Christ, and their example of what Paul has just been talking about should inspire us to live out our faith with concern for Christ's interest, a willingness to risk our lives 
so that we may be proved worthy servants of the gospel. That's why the title this week is For Example. Paul's been telling us things, and now, for example, look at these two men. So let's do that. Let's look at our passage for today, Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, yet not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these examples of faithful brothers in Christ. I pray that the examples of these brothers in Christ and some other examples that we talk about will help us to see how we can live for you how we can reflect your mind, your heart, your attitude, how we can work, how we can shine in a way that honors you. So God, may the examples we talk about lead us to glorify you, lead us to focus on your son, Jesus Christ. Maybe it's said of our lives that our lives were about making you increase and not making ourselves known. So Lord, may you be the focus of our time this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. The first example Paul gives us of the mind of Christ lived out is Timothy. Timothy. This is in verses 19 through 24 that we just read. Who was Timothy? Well, Timothy was Paul's loyal assistant. He was a son in the faith, and he's someone that Paul wrote two letters that we actually have in the Bible, the letters of 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul frequently called Timothy his child because of their close relationship. He often sent Timothy to the churches that he had started. He sent him to churches like the one in Corinth and Thessalonica, and here we find out he's about to go to Philippi. Paul, after all, is in prison. He can't leave. He can't go see this church, so he's sending Timothy in his place. Timothy was his right-hand man, his number two guy, and so by sending him, it was the next best thing. Now, Paul makes it clear in verse 19 that his plans are subject to the Lord's will. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send 
Timothy to you soon. And he hopes that he'll be cheered, encouraged by the report Timothy would bring him of what God is doing in the Philippian church. Because as he is with all his churches, Paul is very concerned about the spiritual growth of the Philippian believers. He's not with them. He can't tell if they're growing, if they're living for God. Is their faith growing? Is it kind of stagnating? How can I know what's going on? So he's going to send somebody he trusts to find out. Timothy could provide him with accurate, reliable information about the church's spiritual health. And at the same time, he could encourage the Philippians. And so in the next three verses, Paul is specifically commending Timothy to them. He's saying, I know I can't be there, but Timothy is definitely somebody you want with you. And he gives them a couple of reasons why he's so confident in Timothy's ministry. His commendation is in verse 20, I have no one like him. Literally, he's saying, Timothy is like sold to me. He's equal sold to me. It's like we're one in the same. And that doesn't mean they were the same in every single way, but their principles were the same. They were united around the same beliefs, the same passions, the passions to see the church expand, to see more people come to know Christ. And since they were united in that, they worked together in great harmony. And like Paul, Timothy's life was a demonstration to other believers that to live, life is about Christ. One reason Paul gives to support this recommendation is that Timothy is genuinely concerned for the Philippians' welfare. He says, I have no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy truly practices Paul's command in 1 Corinthians 10.24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And second, Paul notes that Timothy seeks Christ's interest. He says others seek their own interest. They're lovers of self, but Timothy is passionate about what matters to Christ. They seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ, kind of implying like Timothy does. And then third, Timothy proved his worth by his commitment to Paul. In verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How just like a son does for a father, he has served with me in the gospel. The message paraphrase puts this in a kind of fun way. Verse 22, it says, you yourselves know that Timothy's the real thing. Now, sadly, though, if we're honest, too many believers fall short of this description. But as all Christians should, Timothy is reflecting the mind of Christ by his son-like service to his father in the faith, Paul. Timothy truly reflects Christ in what he does. And although Timothy is loyal to Paul, he's making it clear that Timothy's first commitment is to the proclamation of the gospel message. After all, it says it's not that he's serving Paul, but he's serving with Paul, with me in the gospel. And since they were so united to one another, Timothy's ministry was an extension of Paul's himself. And so Paul is sending him to the Philippians. They had just sent him a gift and an encouragement, and so he's sending Timothy to do the same to them. Now, the last two verses, though, kind of bring out the fact that although Paul needed Timothy with him when he was in trial in Rome, he did hope to send him soon. And despite how much he praises Timothy, Paul acknowledges that, yes, you, you like me, you've worked with me a lot, and you want to see me too. And he says that he hopes 
that he will be with them soon. As he says in 24, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I know I'm in prison now, but I hope to be with you soon. He had promised this to them a little earlier in the book in chapter 1. He says that he's convinced that he will remain and continue with you all for your progress, your joy in the faith, and so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Timothy is a great example of this mind of Christ lived out and how he served Paul and how he was willing to serve the Philippians. He was concerned for the interest of others. But you know, as Paul is appealing to Timothy as an example of someone he knew that was concerned about spreading the gospel, growth of believers, there are many other examples throughout church history of people who shared the same concern for the cause of Christ. Many of our brothers and sisters in the faith had lives characterized by a genuine concern for the interest of others and the interest of Christ. I'm going to talk about two examples from church history. One that we can think of is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce. If you're unfamiliar with Wilberforce, he was a late 18th, early 19th century uh, British evangelical, and he served others and his Lord as a politician. He had a seat in Parliament in Great Britain. And the political field then and now has been characterized by selfish ambition and conceit. It brings out the worst in those who serve in it. But Wilberforce refused to fall into that temptation. Instead, he used his position to bless others, to see the Lord glorified in his country, even when it was not politically expedient for him to do so. Even when it hurt his own career, he was passionate about glorifying the Lord. The way he's most famous, most well-known for doing this, is through leading the successful movement to abolish the, first the slave trade and then slavery itself throughout the British Empire. This was a time when slavery was accepted as normal in the world, but Wilberforce and the believers around him were convinced that the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ left no room for enslaving other people. And although this struggle would consume nearly his entire life, Wilberforce was able to see the slave trade abolished. Unlike here in the U.S. where it took a war, it happened peacefully through the work of Christians in Great Britain. The slave trade was abolished in 1807, and slavery itself was abolished in the British Empire three days before his death in 1833. Nevertheless, despite this world-changing work that he did against slavery, Wilberforce was not a one-issue politician. He believed that the gospel of Jesus touched all areas of life. He sought to reform his nation in order to improve the lives of his countrymen and glorify God. He helped form a multitude of societies. He supported a variety of causes that aided the poor, orphans, and child workers of England. He eliminated many of the country's inhumane practices. And still not content, he also sought the cause of Christ, even in his position as a secular politician. He championed the rights of foreign missionaries. He founded several missionary-sending societies. He even wrote an excellent book that talks about the difference between a cultural Christian and a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. He was truly a man who lived out the mind of Christ and his concern for others 
and in sharing the interest of his Lord. Another example of the mind of Christ that we could consider, like Timothy, is the missionary Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon. Lottie was a missionary for 40 years in China through the International Mission Board. This year is actually the 175th anniversary of the International Mission Board. It's the missionary sending agency of the Southern Baptist Convention, which our church is a part of. Lottie was passionate about seeing people come to know Christ. In her life, she never married, and instead she devoted every moment of her life to reaching the Chinese people for Christ. In a time when few missionaries did this, she lived with them, she adopted their dress and their language. And she regularly wrote to Christians back in the United States, urging them to support missionaries with their resources and by sending people to come to the field. One way that she urged the support was she suggested an offering should be collected that supported all the missionaries who were a part of that mission board. She thought that maybe Christmas would be a good time for this offering. And so today in Southern Baptist churches, we have the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that offering that she promoted that we use to support missionaries sharing about Christ around the world. And Lottie lived this out. She used those resources to share her food and her finances with those who were suffering in poverty around her. In fact, she shared so much that it took an effect on her health. She weighed only 50 pounds at her death. And the great work she did in China is still remembered to this day. Even though China is a communist nation, the church that she was a part of is today preserved and protected as a historical site, even by the communist Chinese government. So people like this, Timothy, Wilberforce, Lottie Moon, they should inspire us to live out the mind of Christ. May it be said of us that there is no one like us, there is no one like us who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. So let us commit ourselves to that. Let us be concerned about those we serve. Let us care for the individuals that God brings into our lives. Our concern should lead us to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters, to support them in their Christian walks. Even in this time of social distancing where we're not together, we still should be passionate about supporting one another. We need to hold other Christians accountable, challenge them to pursue Christ, challenge them to live every moment and make every decision for His glory. As Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, obviously right now, it's not very wise for us to gather together as a larger church body, but that doesn't mean we push this verse or its teaching to the side. Look at what it's saying. The reason we're gathering together, the verse tells us, is to stir up one another, to love and good works. The reason we meet together is to encourage one another. Those are things that can still happen even when we're not physically in the same space. Unlike the author of that book or Paul or Timothy, people were talking about, even uh, Wilberforce or Lottie Moon, we can speak to one another, whether it's over the phone or any variety of internet websites and apps. We are able to communicate with one another. And let's 
use that so we can stir up one another to love and good works and encourage one another. As this passage is telling us, our lives should not revolve around our own interest, but those of Christ. Like Paul, like Timothy, like Wilberforce, like Lottie Moon, we are to be passionate about His glory, seeing lives transformed by His power. Living out the mind of Christ means that we're willing to sacrifice our interest, our goals, our ambitions, sacrifice our dreams for the sake of others, and most importantly, our Lord. So let me ask you, are you willing to make that sacrifice? Are you willing to give up what you want for the sake of others and for the advancement of the gospel? Do you seek your interest or Christ? I pray that like Timothy, your worth may be proven before the eyes of the world, the eyes of your church, and the eyes of our heavenly Father. May our service to Christ be worthy of him. The second example that Paul gives us in this passage is this man named Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus. Let's read 25 through 30 again. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All we know about this man, Epaphroditus, is what we have here in the book of Philippians. We know he was a member of the Philippian church. We're also told a bit about him in chapter 4. He was the one who brought a financial gift to Paul in prison. He brought the gift, the money from the Philippians, to Paul. Paul puts it this way, I have received a full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Remember, we're talking about the first century here. You couldn't give online then. You couldn't even mail a check or money to someone. You had to hand it to somebody who had to carry it to the person you were giving the money to. And that's what Epaphroditus did. He traveled from Philippi in Greece all the way over to Rome in Italy with the Philippians' gift for Paul. So in this section, Paul is commending Epaphroditus, and he's telling the Philippians why Epaphroditus has arrived back in Philippi. It seems that Epaphroditus was probably the one who carried this letter, this book, back to the church. And he's also instructing them to honor their messenger. In verse 25, Paul emphasizes his relationship with Epaphroditus. He uses family, work, military terms to describe their partnership in the gospel. He calls Epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He considers him family in Christ, a co-worker in the cause of the gospel, one who battles, struggles, fights, suffers for the faith. 
He's so thankful that he came. The Philippians not only gave Paul money, but they sent this man there who was able to buy things that Paul would need and bring them to him in prison. They sent Paul a living gift in one of their most self-sacrificial members. However, we find out that during his journey to Rome or shortly after his arrival, Epaphroditus became, became gravely ill. Paul mentions this three times in this passage. He says in verse 26, uh, you, he has been longing for you, distressed because you heard that he was ill. 27, indeed he was ill, near to death. And then in verse 30, he says he nearly died for the cause of Christ. So the church apparently knew that he was sick, but they may not have known how serious the illness was. And Paul's enlightening them in order that they might know the whole situation and properly honor their returning messenger. Epaphroditus says he was distressed. He may have felt concern, responsible for the, the worry he was causing among his church family when they heard that he was sick. But we're told, thankfully, he did recover. And so, since he was recovered, Paul decided to send him home with special urgency because that would ease the Philippians' return. They didn't have to worry if he was sick if he traveled all the way home. And it would also ease Paul's concern for the church. He says in verse 28, I'm the more eager to send him that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Paul has determined that Epaphroditus' safe return to the Philippians would be of more value than if he stayed and continued to serve Paul. As he says in 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. In the last two verses, Paul is encouraging the Philippian church with the message that their man, Epaphroditus, he had not failed. That's not why Paul was sending him back. And so he admonishes them to receive him with joy and honor. Receive him in the Lord with joy, honor such men. Epaphroditus had traveled far. He had risked his life. He had endured near fatal sickness for the sake of his church. And Paul believed that men and women like Epaphroditus, those who risk their lives for the cause of Christ, they should be honored. They should be held in high regard. Like Paul, Epaphroditus understood that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or in the words of Jesus from Mark 8, 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And you know, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ have risked their lives for the cause of Jesus. Pastors such as Dietrich Bonhoeffer have boldly stood for biblical truth, even when the surrounding culture opposed, threatened, and even martyred them. If you're following along in the outline of the sermon, this is actually letter C. Uh, there's a, the outline says B, but it should be C, and the next point will be D. But if you want a copy of the outline, you can check it out and get it on our website, eshorebaptist.org. You can also sign up, uh, contact the church office and sign up for an email that I send uh, in about the middle of each week on Thursdays, which has the notes for the upcoming Sunday's sermon. But regardless, this points the uh, church history example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a pastor theologian, and he saw professed Christians in his native country of Germany, and he saw them cave to the political pressure and the doctrinal compromise of the Nazi party. 
He saw leaders around him joining the Nazis and rejecting what Scripture says. And he responded by writing a famous book, The Cost of Discipleship. And in this book, he argued that the truth of the gospel does not come cheap. It demands a life reoriented toward Christ. If we know Christ and have a genuine relationship with him, it's not something we earn, but it is something that will have an impact on our life. Our life will change. It will cost us in a worldly sense. But Bonhoeffer did more than right. He lived this out. When the German Christian denomination embraced the Nazis, well, Bonhoeffer and his friends, they formed their own group, a confessing church. And this, they were committed to the confession, the proclamation of the truth of God's word. And then when the Nazis began to persecute the confessing church, well, Bonhoeffer formed, he administered, he taught at underground seminaries that were committed to making disciples of Jesus Christ. And in addition to that, Bonhoeffer did what he could to oppose the Nazis politically. And his involvement in those activities ultimately led to his arrest, imprisonment, and then his execution. But Bonhoeffer's actions preserved genuine Christianity in Germany. And his books, like The Cost of Discipleship or Life Together, they still influence believers today in the cause of Christ. Another example we could talk about from church history are missionaries like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Many missionaries like them risked and some lost their lives while pursuing the Great Commission, God's call that people of every nation would come to know Him. And many lose their lives when they try to reach those who have never heard the name of Jesus. So this letter D example is Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. The Elliots and countless others have searched out forgotten, hard-to-reach, dangerous people groups to share the good news of God's plan of redemption. And many of them, like Jim in the jungles of Ecuador, lost their lives trying to share Jesus with those who've never heard of him. His wife Elizabeth continued working as a missionary. She actually worked with the tribes that killed her husband and left her alone with a 10-month-old daughter. She worked for years as a missionary, she was then a college professor, and eventually she was a radio program host. And even after losing her husband and having to suffer and serve as a missionary, in a radio program she began almost every episode with this, you are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. It's a reference to Jeremiah 31 and Deuteronomy 33. So Epaphroditus, Bonhoeffer, the Elliots, they demonstrate that living out this mind of Christ will lead to risk. It will lead people to take risk for the advancement of the gospel. And again, we should ask ourselves, are we willing to take the same risk? Will we go to the hard places, the difficult locations, dangerous areas to share the good news? Will we stand up for biblical truth, for Christian orthodoxy, even when it's unpopular or it's at risk of our lives? Do we have this servant-minded, worker, soldier, messenger mentality like Epaphroditus? Will we live out the mind of Christ? Well, as you may have noticed, we've, we've reached verse 30, so that's the end of our passage, and we looked at two examples of the mind of Christ lived out. 
But with this language Paul is using, he's actually kind of drawing his readers' minds back to another example, one he discussed a few verses earlier, Jesus Christ himself. Paul's third example is Jesus Christ. Although Paul is writing about Timothy and Epaphroditus, the real hero of the passage is Christ. In this passage, he is the one in whom Paul places his hope to send Timothy to Philippi. Look at verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Jesus is the one who is truly like no one else and who was so genuinely concerned for our interest that back in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is the one who in humility counted us more significant than himself and who humbled himself. He is the one who now proves our worth, as verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Jesus is the one Paul trusts for his release from prison. Verse 24, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Jesus is the one who spared Epaphroditus. God the Father did. Verse 27, he was near to death, but God had mercy on him and on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Jesus is the one who enables us to receive our fellow brothers and sisters with joy and honor. In verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Jesus is the one who not only risked his life, but again, back in verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus is the one at whose name every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In our passage, Paul is commending Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's pointing them, though, at using them to point to the only example that really matters, the one who makes it possible for us to live out the mind of Christ. And all we can do is respond. What this means is, though, is if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, then you can't live the way he did. You have this sickness, this disease of sin in you. You rebel against God. You reject what he says. And God's solution was to send Jesus. He lived for us. He died on our behalf so that if we turn away from our sin, we believe in him, that he died for us, and that he rose to life victorious over sin, if we believe in him, then we can have a relationship with him. And then we are able to live the way Timothy, Epaphroditus, and the other people we talked about did. It wasn't because there was something super special about them. It was because they knew Jesus, and they had his spirit living within them. And you can know him too. I encourage you to reach out to me, you can email me at jtoon at eshorebaptist.org or reach out to someone you know who is a genuine follower of Christ. You can see the difference that's been made in their life by what God has done for them. Reach out to that person. Ask them, how can I know Jesus? How can I have a relationship with him?
If you do know Jesus, if you do have a relationship with Him, well then a different response is required. In light of Christ's work and the example of the many believers that have come before us, such as Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Wilberforce, Lottie Moon, Bonhoeffer, the Elliots, we have a choice to make. Will we live out the mind of Christ each and every day? Will we be concerned for the welfare and the interest of others? Will we be concerned about others' spiritual growth? Will we place their interests, their desires before our own? Will we sacrifice our desires to pursue the interest of Christ? Will our worth be proven in service to the gospel? Friends, are you willing to risk your life, your everything, in service of the Lord? And I'm talking about, yes, if the time comes, would you be willing to lay down your life for the gospel? But, but almost more so, are you willing to live for Him now by His power? Are you willing to honor Him in what you say and do? Are you willing to make a difference in the lives of people around you? Like those examples we talked about and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of more that we could spend all day talking about that God has used for His glory and His purposes. Will you add your name to their list? And only God can answer that. Only God can answer that in the ultimate sense, but only you can answer that question, whether you will live for Him. Think about it. And whatever your response is, respond in a way that the Lord leads. My prayer for all of us is that we will respond by living out the mind of Christ in the way Timothy did, in the way Epaphroditus did, in the way all those others that I mentioned did, that we will live that way, reflecting Jesus, because he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the example of faithful believers. Thank you for Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, the others from church history that we mentioned. Pray that their example would inspire us to live for you, not by our power, but by your spirit in us. So if someone doesn't know you, I pray they will reach out and get in touch with someone who can explain to them, talk to them about what it means to have a relationship with you. I pray for the rest of us, though, that these examples would inspire us to cling close to you, to live in a way that reflects your mind, your heart, your attitude, your concern for others, and your, their willingness to risk so that your name might be known and praise, Lord. May you receive the honor and glory in our lives, now and at all times. It's in your name I pray. Amen.